Tooth and Claw, Volume 1, Issue 10.2, Sydney, Australia, 15 years earlier. The first thing Robert heard as he came to was a low hum. His vision took a few moments to realign with the conscious world. The pressure in his ears startled him somewhat. He felt that just recently, in the restaurant. Chen Tang! He remembered the old man's form, bathed in blue light, shifting and changing into something longer, sharper. The physical transformation accompanied by a flux in the space he'd occupied, the corporeal and the ethereal wrapping around each other in some cataclysmic dance, a quantum event scaled up to the macrocosmic. With a series of slow blinks, Robert's eyes focused. He recognised the sound, the hum of jet engines. That explained the pressure in his ears. The lights were on inside the large panelled cabin, the blinds closed. He was sat in a comfortable brown leather chair. A small mahogany table in front of him held a glass of water, an ashtray and an open soft pack of Marlboros. Across from him sat a suited man, blonde hair, moustache. The guy from his apartment. Robert thrust forward to stand up, but a sharp pain in his wrist and a yank on his right shoulder stopped him dead. He was handcuffed to the thick armrest of the chair. Lien Hua, he shouted, craning his neck round. The man opposite him reached over to the table and took a cigarette from the pack. Lighting it with a jet black zippo, he relaxed into his chair again and exhaled slowly. What have you done with Lien Hua? Robert barked again, rage igniting in the middle of his chest. The man ashed the tip of the cigarette and looked at him warily. She's absolutely fine, Mr. Drake. We left her in your apartment back in Sydney. She'll be awake soon. She didn't require a large dose. The man softened. No adverse side effects. Anders here propped her gently on your settee with a glass of water and some aspirin for when she wakes. Robert looked behind him, saw the other man from the apartment corridor. A giant, about six and a half feet tall, a solidity to his entire being. His small blue eyes peered from a round, shaven face, his blonde hair cropped short. He was making notes with a pencil on a small white notepad. He didn't acknowledge Robert. The first man continued, motioning to the handcuffs. I hope you understand the restraints, Mr. Drake. Just a precautionary measure. I've no doubt Anders would be able to subdue you if necessary, but a private jet is no place for a scuffle, is it? I hope you and I can have a proper chat. We've a lot to discuss. Robert calmed slightly. There was something about the way the man spoke, clear confident and a core of believability to the tone of his voice. It was reassuring. As a trust exercise, Mr. Drake, I'm going to answer your questions first. I'm sure you've many. I'll answer them honestly, so I hope that when we reverse the roles, you'll do me the same courtesy. Robert nodded slowly. The rage had subsided now, but the energy that had begun to form remained, pulled down and contained, dormant but alive. Good, the man beamed stubbing the cigarette out and relaxing back into his chair. Now, whilst I said you've many questions, I think they all probably boil down to just a few very important ones. I'm not surprised Lien Hua was first, but hopefully I've answered that satisfactory for now. We can talk more about her, but I'm afraid to say that, at this point, she's an irrelevancy. Robert waited. Your next question will be to ask who I am. My name is Humphrey, Charles Humphrey. It really is a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Drake. His smile took on a tinge of playfulness. I won't bother to extend a hand this time. Charles Humphrey. Robert racked his brains for any connection, any echo of the name in his memory. He found none. 
Now, a name by itself isn't much use, I know, he continued. You'd like to know what I do and who I work for. People are so often defined by those two things, aren't they? A shame, really, he said with a small sigh. So this leads on to your next question. Where am I taking you? Of course, all three questions have the same answer. I work for an organisation called the Order of St George, or simply the Order. The headquarters of that organisation, the Circle, is where I am taking you. Before the next most important question, why have we taken you? Let me clarify what the order is and what we do. I think you'll find this goes some way to explaining. A mild shock came across his face. Uh, Mr. Drake, I do apologize. May I offer you a cigarette? Robert had never smoked in his life. He looked at the crinkled red and white packet on the table between them and caught the dying aroma of the smoke. You know, I would actually. Humphrey smiled again. Good, allow me. He took a cigarette from the packet and handed it to Robert, and once it was between his lips, leant forward and lit it with his zipper. Without thinking, Robert inhaled deeply. Instead of an expected choking cough, the stream of smoke slipped into his lungs easily. He looked curiously at the cigarette in his hands, and when he blew a long jet of smoke out, he thought it was the finest feeling in the world, a joyous expulsion. Humphrey watched him closely. After allowing Robert a few more puffs, he went on. Mr. Drake, there's one simple fact that's at the heart of this whole thing. Something you've been aware of at a localised level, but that is part of a much larger, more complex situation than you realise. So here it is. The majority of organised crime in the world, at the very highest levels, is run by dragons in human form. Humphrey paused, waiting for Robert's disbelief. It took a few seconds for it to sink in. Robert heard the words and was almost surprised at his lack of shock at the word dragon. Amongst all the crazy things he'd experienced over the last few weeks, he hadn't actually seen a dragon at any point. Yet he knew, even without the forms of Qian Tang and Fu Kang Long seeming to change into something not human. He knew it in his blood. What people called dragon was real. He knew because it was inside him. When he didn't reply, Humphrey continued. Yes, Mr. Drake, dragons exist. They are real, always have been. The pictures you see in books, generally a pretty accurate description of their true form, give or take some artistic license. They're a genus, in a sense, from the same hereditary place, but with huge genetic differences, usually dependent on geographic location and habitat. Folkloric descriptions from different locations around the world generally work as correlatives for how they actually are. You see, Mr. Drake, it's not just Sydney Triads, not just Fu Kang Long and Lianhua's grandfather. It's a global phenomenon. Many centuries ago, it seems almost all the dragons in the world decided en masse to change into human form. Almost immediately, they infiltrated organized criminal gangs and in some cases created new ones. Humphrey paused, arching his fingers in front of his chest and looking intently at Robert. Not long after this, the Order of St. George was formed not the Hungarian ass and George Sorendiet, nor the Christian order, nor the Russian military, but much, much older. A secret society, initially of knights, mystics, holy men and scholars, formed to combat the insidious progress of the dragon crime lords. Over time, it developed into the global organization that is now the Order. Humphrey leaned forward. We've clearance levels with most national police forces that only a few top-ranking officers are even aware exist. Our resources are essentially unlimited. We've outposts on all continents and operatives in most countries. 
and Mr. Tang's restaurant had been under observation for some time. Robert's heart skipped. Had been, he asked. Humphrey nodded. Yes, I'm afraid so, Mr. Drake, he said solemnly. By the end of it, the place was reduced to rubble. No remains other than two of Fu Kanglong's gang. The others must have got away. Chen Tang, Robert said quietly, though hadn't he felt a severing as he and Lian Hua had raced through the streets of Chinatown back to his flat? Hadn't he felt the old man leave him? Of course, there wouldn't be any remains, let alone a body. When dragons are killed, they ascend to heaven, as they put it. But nothing is left of their material forms. Where do they go? We don't know. Though there are a few researchers in the order that are experimenting with ideas linked to loop quantum gravity, they're rather esoteric. Humphrey paused again, letting Robert slip into the softer universal locus of grief. Mr. Drake, if I may say, I do think Chen Tang knew what he was doing. He hadn't planned to die, but he knew it was coming sooner or later. His voice softened. He trusted you, and evidently had something he wanted you to accomplish. He trusted me to take care of Lian Hua, Robert interjected. I let him down within hours of his death. There was a hint of impatience under the concern in Humphrey's voice. She's safe, Mr. Drake. We left a man watching your flat and we'll keep an eye on her for a while. Why didn't you bring her, Robert demanded. Humphrey raised an eyebrow. I'm not going back, am I? I'm not ever forgetting all this and wandering back into society, am I? You won't allow it. Humphrey stretched out his arms, cracking his knuckles. Robert, do you honestly think you can go and live a normal life now? The Inhuara has grown up with some dimly fluctuating awareness, but you, you've not only been exposed to the fact, there's, there's something else, isn't there? Humphrey leaned forward, staring intently at him. Robert felt some version of the energy that constantly flowed within him reach out to the man. It felt like a searching, tendrils seeking stimulation to feed back to him information on a binary state, collapsing the wave function of doubt. He could tell him. It was a blood transfusion. Humphrey's eyebrows raised sharply, a short intake of breath, and he leant back deep into his chair and relaxed, content. I thought it was something along those lines. He smiled softly and looked at him again. This is entirely uncharted territory, Robert. You see now why we had to bring you in. The order is the best place to try and work out exactly what's happening with you. Humphrey stroked his moustache. I think you'll find the circle very interesting. So much information, so many new sensations. Robert felt like he was slipping in and out of a waking dream. Humphrey was talkative. Robert tried to pay attention, but his mind raced back to Sydney, to Chen Tang and Lian Hua. Humphrey's voice phased in and out, descriptions and instructions portioned into both clear language and a background hum of indecipherable sounds. Welcome to England, Mr. Drake. The climate will probably take a while to get used to, but the circle itself is kept at a comfortable temperature. And winter can turn the country beautiful when we're lucky enough to get a snow that settles. Robert had never seen snow before. It hailed in Sydney, but it never snowed. The succession of military bases where he'd grown up had all been in tropical climes. Singapore, Dakar, Mandalay. He'd never seen the world freeze. They stepped from the plane straight into a harsh wind that gnawed through Robert's skin and into his bones with a purposeful cold. Jeeps and military trucks zipped around the airfield, lights flashing against the night. A detail of soldiers met them off the plane and escorted them to a small electric cart. 
The driver wheeled them precariously round and sped off to a bunker behind the hangars. Humphrey led him through a massive security door, Anders following close behind. Through the door was an escalator tumbling down into a seemingly bottomless pitch. The lights that popped to life over them as they descended snapped Robert back into focus. How deep does this go? he asked dreamily. Deeper even than the Bakerloo, Mr. Drake. Deep enough to get a facility holding over 100 people that can't be seen from the ground. Back in the 60s, Robert was lost again. He was suddenly on the other side of the world with the two people he cared more about than any others lost. One of them forever. His actions had been so automatic, so instinctual. When Fu Kang Long and his men had attacked, he hadn't had time to properly think about the fact that Chen Tang was dead. He had felt a severing, a kind of ripping lurch inside him as he and Lian Hua had raced away from the restaurant. But he'd immediately buried it, squashed it down underneath the present need for clarity of thought and decisive movement. Then Humphrey and the Order, a secret society that protected the world from criminal gangs run by dragons. But then, if the world really contained dragons, was it so fantastical there was a secret society combating them? All previous measures of reality were thrown into a cloud of possibility, a swarming disarray of truth and myth. Through all of it, Chen Tang seemed the most real, the truth he could trust most. What's your step, Mr. Drake? Humphrey said, placing a restraining hand on Robert's arm. He looked down and noticed the sharp precipice. They were on a small platform. Robert's left foot hung dreamily over the tracks. Is everything okay? Humphrey asked gently. Yes. No. Well, what do you want me to say? I have a lot on my mind. Humphrey smiled kindly. Of course. It's about a ten minute ride to the circle. I'll shut up for a moment and you can rest your eyes if you like. Robert felt a blast of chill air from his left. The rhythmic clunk of an approaching train carriage neared. No, do go on. I'm, I'm half listening. Humphrey's smile broadened into a beam. More than I get from most, Mr. Drake. More than I get from most. The half of Robert that wasn't listening was flying back over Europe, crossing the Caspian and arcing down over the Malaysian Peninsula. He could almost feel the whip of air particles in the troposphere on his skin, the cold, clear sky above clouds of space to tumble and rise in. How could he move so freely in his thoughts so suddenly? That had changed since the alleyway, the ability not just to imagine but to visualise extraordinary events that had been inconceivable before. And then the times those visualizations had manifested as real, true experiences. His speed, his strength, his ability to see sounds, his new power of persuasion that felt like a physiological influence. They all seemed to come from this new hyper-awareness, this perception of the unknown, beyond thought, a burgeoning synesthesia of the whole. An abandoned particle accelerator. Construction ceased when it was only half completed, so the circle is, in actual fact, a semicircle. <laughs> Robert jolted back to attention, his eyes focused. Humphrey was pointing at a massive concrete tube that curved round so it was lost in the distance of the vast excavation in which it was housed. They left the carriage and walked up to a large gantry that served as an entrance to the tube. A particle accelerator? Yes, Humphrey said proudly. Would have been such a shame to let it go to waste, don't you think? They went through another security door and entered the tube itself. Humphrey gestured left and right with a sweep of his arm. The tube itself is essentially structural. Most of the offices and labs are in circular modules attached to the inside of the circle. Some are connected laterally, others not. 
He stopped and looked at Robert again. I am sorry, Mr. Drake, I'm waffling. Regardless of the complexity and size of something, if you spend long enough with it, it loses its ability to shock. Your astonishment dwindles so that you forget just how incredible it all seems when you first come across it. Robert looked hard at Humphrey. Have you had a blood transfusion from a dragon as well? Humphrey stepped backwards in alarm. Whatever do you mean? You've an uncanny ability to know someone's thoughts. Humphrey let out a small laugh. <laughs> I've been told I have a talent for reading people, Mr. Drake. I have to say there's no ambiguity in your general manner at the moment, if you don't mind me saying. Humphrey paused once more. When he spoke again, his voice had dropped and he was frowning. I take it as similar talent has made itself apparent to you since you met Chien Tang? Nothing specific, Robert said cautiously. But I know Anders there behind me has just put his hand on his gun and taken a quarter step towards me. And I'd forgotten all about him. He looked Humphrey square in the eyes. Humphrey stroked his moustache for a beat and then he shook his head at Anders. Without looking behind him, Robert felt the pressure and space relax. Humphrey moved forward and placed a hand on Robert's shoulder. Once again, I must apologise, Mr. Drake. I hope you understand this is new for me as well, for all of us. I understand, Robert said calmly. It's not like I've got any choice, he thought. I'm however many feet underground now inside a heavily guarded facility. I'm going to have to play this out. I'm going to take you to see Miss Hunt first, Humphrey continued, slipping back into his tour guide voice. She'll have my guts for garters otherwise. Then on to Dr. Stevenson in research. He's going to be very interested to meet you. And after that, I wish I could say for sure, Mr. Drake, but I'm afraid it's not my call. He led them across the gantry to another heavy security door. Fingers hovering over the keypad, he smiled back at Robert. Though if it were, I'd like to think we can find a use for you. The doors slid open. The coil of energy inside him fluttered, a thousand butterfly wings aflame. Incandescence. Robert stepped from the silence of the tube into the enveloping fluorescent din of the circle. Written and recorded by James Fisher. Edited and read by Andy Bennett. Music by Aquifer. <laughs>